names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. Welcome to Mile Marker 70, our 70th episode. Um, we use these Mile Marker episodes as check-ins, where we check in about what we've learned and how things are going. 70 episodes into this experience of being hobos making a podcast together including current events and whatever's on our minds. Um, we are in one of our regular parks we go to in a dirty old Durham, formerly known as Adchashire. Um, yeah, I guess we'll just get started. So, Teresa, how is van life going? What do we? Uh, what do you want to check in about first? Yeah, our last check-in episode, our mile marker, um, boy, it seems like ages ago, Sherlock was sick. Um, we were in a hotel room. We were holed up in a hotel room in Bristol, Tennessee, or Virginia, one of the two. And, um, yeah, we had, uh, I think, already put up, or at least were working on putting up the screens in the van. And that's something that if you are trying out van life, uh, we've seen plenty of van lifers that... I don't know if they've just given up or if they think it's good enough. Maybe it is, but... Their vans, I mean, their screens on their vans suck. So I think our van screen setup is pretty ideal for what we've got going. Um, we have a video on that on our YouTube channel. So that was an update that I wanted to put uh, first and foremost in our check-in because it really saved our bodies from getting eaten up by the mosquitoes, even up in the mountains when it's uh, nice and cool in the summertime. They're still there. <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely a big improvement. Another huge improvement that I'm really excited about um, that I figured out is we call it the front porch. And we also have a YouTube video on this because, you know, these things can be kind of hard to describe with words. Um, But basically, I've learned to strap a few PVC pipes um, cut to size that we found just sort of laying around. We scavenged them. Um, I strapped them to the top of the van. And we've learned like early on to carry around a few tarps. Um, so we've got different size tarps depending on what we need for our front porch <laughs> and, uh, bungees, lots of bungees. So with this setup, oh, and tent stakes. Anytime we go to a campsite, I try to scavenge tent stakes. We've always, always got plenty of them and a little hammer to pound them into the ground. But I set up this thing where, uh, I attach one side of the tarp to the van and then set up with the PVC poles, um, two poles to hold up the other side of the tarp and then bungee them down. I experimented with different ways to try to hold that down. Um, and have found that, like, each pole needs two bungee lines, you know, at a, uh, what you call that? What, what angle is that, you know, from each other? 45? Like, let's say 12 o'clock and 3 o'clock, for instance. Oh, oh, off the poles, yeah. Yeah, off the poles. And then the other uh, pole, likewise. So you've got four tent stakes in the ground holding this thing down. I know that was complicated, but we got a YouTube video. But anyway, this thing is... Uh, as Donald Trump would say, tremendous. <laughs> it is awesome. It's made a big difference. So if, I'd say one of the main uses we have for it is shade. Um, when you're in a van and you find a nice place to park out in the country, even on a, a mild day, that sun can really beat you down. You have times when you want to escape and just find a shady spot to sit under. So we've got our camp chairs and it is so nice. It makes it feel so homey. And um, I also have like a, a taller PVC pipe that as long as it's not windy, because when it's windy, it'll knock the, the middle pole down. But I just put a sock on top so it doesn't put, punch a hole through the tarp and put it underneath the tarp so it'll shed water. 
And so when it rains, we've got a dry place to sit under and enjoy the rain and like maybe set out a table and play some cards or something. <laughs> and also we collect water so we can fill up all of our water bottles if we're camping in a place that we uh, have no other way to fill up water. Um, fresh water right out of the clouds, dripping off the tarp, sometimes pouring off the tarp. <laughs> um, we had this one time in the mountains uh, this last summer that we had the front porch set up and a huge storm came through and it was so violent. I had to like hold on to the middle pole to keep it from just like drenching us while Teresa ran around and quickly filled up all of our water bottles. It was like being on the ocean in a storm with everything <laughs> rocking and yeah, moving. It, really it was crazy. Was. Um, but it worked, you know, cause the PVC pipes bend, the tarp bends, the bungees bend. So even in strong weather, like so far, nothing actually breaks. It's really flexible. I, I love this front port setup. It's made a huge difference. And when we can set it up, we're in a country, in the country or at a free camping spot. Um, also we can leave the door open or the window open, even when it's raining. And that makes a big difference because we get the fresh air. We're not like bottled in, um, in the rain, you know, with that stuffy, muggy air. So yeah, check out our video on front porch setup. Even if you don't have a Toyota minivan or whatever, however you're trying to simplify and escape society, it might give you some ideas. Yeah, it's weird to, uh, I mean, it's, it's not that it's wrong or right, but other people that are living in their vans, they often have to like buy or, or outfit their van with an exhaust fan on top because it gets so stuffy. And, I mean, we just open the windows. and with Scavenging the, <laughs> shit is wrong. I don't, don't want to be, be right. right. So, yeah, so, you know, the mosquito screens, if we're in the van, the front porch to be out of the van, enjoying the fresh air. And Gumby, I, I was chuckling because you mentioned, like, putting a table out. And our table is actually a milk crate, <laughs> a plastic box type thing that's, uh, well, really it's like a cube because there's nothing in the middle of it. Because uh, that's where the milk would go. And you usually find these um, behind grocery stores. They do have a message that says something like it's the property of something. But, I mean, if they're sitting outside of the grocery store for 10,000 years and nobody's claiming them, you know, maybe a mild exaggeration. So, yeah, we've... If you do get arrested and go to prison for stealing a milk crate, you lie when somebody asks you what you're <laughs> in there for because you're going to get your ass kicked. So don't tell them it was for stealing a milk crate. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this milk crate, uh, can be so versatile. We carry our water bottles in it to fill up, um, and just to keep them in the van nicely. We use it as a table, flip it upside down, play cards on it or whatever, put our wine or whatever we're having at the moment on it. And, uh, if you, we run into like bungee, uh, bungee cords, I was going to say like bungee said, like Gumby <laughs> said, bungee cords, um, as well as those zip ties. So Gumby, I think, do you have a video on the milk crate storage? I do. I have a video on the milk crate shelves we have in the back of the van. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so check out our YouTube channel if you're contemplating van life uh, on a shoestring, so to speak. You can scavenge a lot of stuff, and including it's, shoestrings. It's <laughs> it's not going to be the uh, the Pinterest perfect fairy lights van, um, but you know what? It'll get you started, and I think that's a big point in a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today is like getting shit started. And I want to just reinforce singing the praises of the milk crate. Um, I am a big convert of the milk crate. If you can find <laughs> a way to get a milk crate, even if you're sleeping in your car to carry it around because it's empty space so you can use it to kind of organize and if you like put that in a bag and you can take it out really quick i mean like teresa's saying you got a quick table you got a seat 
that's the perfect height if you're around a fire. Mm-hmm. Um, we love bringing this thing out like early in the morning when we have a fire pit because it keeps you low, but you're not having to squat and like, you know, get your back, your knees sore or dirty. And you can like work on the fire, blow on it, feed it, whatever you need to do. It's a perfect fire tending height. And um, yeah, it helps me get on top of the van instead of crawling on the bumper sometimes to get stuff from our storage box. So Cargo yeah, box, yeah, I just wanted to like uh, back you up on that <laughs> milk crate. If you can carry a milk crate, you will find endless uses for it. Um, another thing that I have done since we lasted our, you know, we did two, uh, podcasts on specifically about why wow, you just dropped water all over yourself, mm-hmm. specifically about living in a van. Our second episode, mobile home, uh, the truly mobile home. And then at the end of the first season, mobile home park. So since then, another thing is, I've got the steering wheel cover, and you find these more than you might expect, just kind of laying around or discarded. I found this. It was uh, pretty clean. I think it was laying in a dumpster. It was the dumpster that had the, I believe, the same dumpster that had the brand new seat covers and other accoutrements for vehicles, like the, uh, the visor organizer and stuff. Yeah, I don't remember specifically, but it, it's kind of loose. It fits on there, but it slides around. Which is dangerous. Yeah, it can be. Um <laughs> But I find hair ties all the time, and Teresa used to tease me about keeping these hair ties. She said, uh, it looks like you're, like, kidnapping and murdering women and keeping these as trophies. Yeah. So. Because he's bald, so there's no use of them for his hair. Touche. But that's not true, because (laughs) as a bald man, I do find uses for these things. Um, I collect them, and what I do with some of them is... I tie like a a knot sort of thing, but I just wrap them around the steering wheel cover. So it holds the steering wheel cover tight. It looks really cool. And I know that in a pinch, I've got these hair ties that I can untie and I've got cordage, which can be really useful. You know, when you start like roughing it, especially you're always looking for some way to tie a, a, a rubber band or a hair tie around something to keep it together and keep it somewhat organized. Um... Yeah, let's see. If you're trying to picture that, it looks like the, I guess, old school kind of leathery type um, seat, I mean, wheel covers that have like the the thing around Yeah, my dad used to have a Mustang and he had that little like, I guess it was plastic. It looked sort of leathery. It was black, had all the little holes in it. Yeah. You know, like people with muscle cars often got that around their steering wheel and then had the cord wrapped around it all around to hold it tight. It does look... Yeah, a bit like that. Except my steering wheel cover is purple with butterflies, and the hair ties are <laughs> pink and purple and black and white. Something else that was a duh um, for Teresa was we have two laptops. Gumby got one. He just asked for it on uh, some sort of uh, social media platform. I don't remember. I tried a dumpster beer for it. Yeah, and I had my laptop from long ago. It's I don't know how old, but it's old. It still works, and we use them mostly to watch movies that we either get from the library or we find outside thrift stores, so they're free, um, etc. And the problem was getting to be that as my laptop gets older, the battery's not functioning very well, so instead of being able to watch a movie completely on one laptop, we have to, like, switch out the laptops. And then it occurred to me, yeah, it is purchasing something, and that kind of sucks, But it was like $14 to get a new laptop battery. And um, instead of having to buy another laptop, 
you know, like have all these laptops around if you're wanting to have, uh, you know, van life and have some entertainment, you can just simply have another battery so that when your one battery dies, you have another one. And a lot of times we find outlets to charge these. So I have like an extra battery already charged for my laptop. So that was just kind of a duh thing. You don't have to have multiple laptops. You can just get multiple laptop batteries. Oh, and something else that I uh, we have mentioned in podcasts uh, is hygiene. Clean, green, seldom seen hygiene. Yeah, and some things that we've learned, um, especially about washing our clothes, because um, we we bathe in the creek. We don't use soap. We also wash our clothes in the same creek where we're bathing. No soap. And uh, there gets to be some... Uh, I don't want to, I mean, I guess they are problems. Like if you have a day where you wash your clothes too late or late in the day, or there's not a lot of sun that day, or God forbid it's raining, your clothes can start to get a mildewy, dank nastiness to them. Yeah. I just, I want to throw in this caveat because in clean, green, seldom seen hygiene, as well as some videos we posted on YouTube about how to do this, I sang the praises about washing your clothes in creeks with no soap. And though that is true, that is an ideal condition. So now that we've got more experience with it, I do want to warn you that, um, you know, if every day is sunny and there's a breeze and low humidity, oh, man, you don't need soap or machines or any of that stuff. <clears throat> Your clothes smell like sunlight and wind. It's great. But you often don't run into ideal conditions. So as Teresa was saying, and I just I want to jump in there because it's usually my clothes, I feel like, that are getting this. Um but yeah, days of rain when they can't dry, and it's really the drying process, I feel like, that kind of builds up like mildew or whatever. They will start to stink. Yeah. So you do get challenges where when you're not using soap and, you know, other ways to wash your clothes that uh, you might have to, like, take a trip to the laundromat or something like that. And and let's just say, like, I mean, we do things in a certain way. We try, you know, our very best to live kind of in nature, but I, you know, because I know the limitations of drying things, I will take our bedding, um, to the laundromat. Cause that's a lot of drying. And remember, we don't have a yard to just put up a line and dry stuff all the time. Like very seldomly do we have a, a place to do that where we're not going to get run off or just like looked at and the police called on us. And as we have found out, Um, it draws a lot of attention to hang out clothes on your van. Lots of negative attention. Yeah. But, of course, the other day, we didn't even have clothes hung out on our van, and some dude just walked up to us in the parking lot like, y'all must be traveling, huh? And I'm like, what the fuck? We're just sitting (laughs) here. How does he know? I was like, Gumby, do you have your underwear out? Is there something hanging on the van? (laughs) Um, But, yeah, with the clothes, you know, if, if you can still wash them, in a natural body of water, most laundromats, the dryers cost like 25 cents for seven or eight minutes. And it, it can be the difference of your whole van getting moldy or your clothes smelling nasty. And if you have like 50 cents, you could probably dry your clothes pretty much to a point where they're not going to be problematic. So I'll just throw that in there. I know that's money, but we find money on the street. So I think that's acceptable. And the other thing I was going to say as an update to our hygiene is, you know, I've uh, had my head shaved now. What do you think I had, like, two feet of hair? 
something like that. When I got done with it, she looked like Alpha from The Walking Dead, and I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, and it was so much easier, and still is so much easier to keep clean with it being short. Now that it's growing out, um, I have a little bit more problems with washing it, and I think I have, like, dandruff. So, because I'm not using soap, I'm not using um, shampoo, conditioner, I'm trying to renormalize my scalp, but uh, for whatever reason, whether it's the cold water of the stream, or maybe the hardness of the water, or who knows, me not drinking enough water, I've got like dandruff buildup. So, what I'm going to try next is I've got some rosemary that I clipped from various places, it's like growing along the sidewalk, growing in people's yards that allow me to cut it. Um, or not. Or not. <laughs> and I have some of that in some apple cider vinegar. So I'm going to experiment with that fairly soon. And uh, I'll let you know if it helps with my scalp condition. And it has been entertaining watching this hair grow back. I mean, we've come up with a name for all the different stages. Let's see. What have we gone through? There was Little Japanese Boy. Mm-hmm. There was David Bowie. Yeah. Uh, what came after that? Was that Wolverine? Might have been. I swear to God, her hair looked just like Wolverine's. I didn't think, like, people in real life, like, had Wolverine hair. Most days I look like an angry Cupid doll. (laughs) Yeah, when you get out of the creek. (coughs) And lately, um, now that's getting a little bit, like, longer and you can brush it back, it's, uh, like, alfalfa without the cow lick. So it's, like, half an alfalfa, which I have named. Are you ready for this? Alfalfa. Oh, and let's not forget there was Zoolander along the way, too. that's true. Anyway, so, and the final thing about hygiene is our dog, Sherlock. He uh, rebounded from whatever was going on with him on our last check-in, but he's now got some sort of a skin condition that's, like, inflamed under his armpits and, like, kind of in his crotchal area and on his neck because he's got, like, a lot of extra neck. His what area? Crotchal. Oh. And uh, so we've been trying different things. When he was in the mountains, it seemed like it was better, but it wasn't uh, completely absent. And I'm wondering, we're both wondering now, if it's actually the food that he's eating, the dog food that he might have an allergy to. Um, So we may try to revamp his diet again, get him back on some like rice and bland stuff. But uh, we tried... um, boiling acorns the other day to release the tannins in the water and and uh, gently like using that as a skin wash for him. He didn't really like that, um, but it makes him smell better. I've noticed that. Um, he doesn't smell like a dirty, nasty old dog. Yeah, and he's definitely getting that old dog smell now, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. If you've ever had a dog past 10 years old, they start getting that smell. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and there were other things that we might try, but I have a feeling it, it's his diet. And what does that say about our culture? Like humans have issues with allergies um, from things that they eat. Now our pets are having issues with uh, like the wheat and corn and all sorts of fillers that we put in their food. Yeah, unless you think that it is something to do with like scavenging dog food or whatever. Um, This summer, for the first time (laughs) ever, I have had to start buying some dog food because we were traveling and I just wasn't finding it. So this is bought dog food. It's not like expired stuff. And this is when his skin is, uh, he's always had sensitive skin, but it's getting worse. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this isn't a scavenging thing, whatever's going on. Yep. And that's about all I had for, uh, for hygiene. Yeah. And so, you know, we're trying to like kind of update information that we've said before, anything we can add to it, anything that we, uh, might correct ourselves on. 
So in lieu of that, we did an episode called, in our season one, um, in our first season, uh, getting it on and getting along. And it was all about like when you're living in a van with somebody and you're doing the hobo thing, like what are some things we've learned that we want to pass on about how to get along with each other, um, with people in general too. We got into that, um, with keeping your sex life vibrant and, did that work for anybody? Did anybody listen to that and take any of that advice? Like, did that shit work for anybody? <laughs> so I, I would love to know. Because um, we have definitely, like, you know, living in a van together. Imagine that you're with somebody else and you can't even go in the other room. You've got one room. Neither one of us works. So, like, all your time is with somebody. And there are pros and cons of being single. And there are pros and cons of being in a partnership. And so Teresa and I have both decided thus far that the pros and cons of being in a partnership are preferable to the pros and cons of being single. Some of the pros of being single is it's easier to, like, organize your day, to have kind of a routine and a schedule, um, exercise routines, things like that. And you can decide what your priorities are, what you value, and find a way to make it happen. In a couple, of course, and I'm not just talking about romantic couple, anytime you're spending time with somebody, there's some compromise. There's some, you know, how do we blend this together so there's more organization involved. Um, So definitely I'd say pros of being a couple is when we do coordinate and when we can communicate well, um, we can accomplish twice the amount of work uh, in half the time. You know, and we have company, good company to talk about these things, to challenge each other, to stimulate thoughts and creativity. Um, as far as keeping that spark alive, you know, that romantic, like, coupley spark, Teresa and I, I'd say, like, we have not found the way to do that. Um, we're kind of like, well, we have a platonic <laughs> relationship. We haven't had sex in how long, would you say? Oh, I mean, it's been a couple months because you... I'd say even more, <laughs> but uh, maybe that's just me. But you know, you you, you uh, um, my bald head. What? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't really gonna go there, but yeah, I think the last time we did uh, were intimate is right after I shaved your head, and uh, that. <laughs> that's weird. That was like. I don't mean weird in a bad way, but yeah, it does sound weird. I I don't even know what to say about that. It was like fucking yourself. (laughs) I was masturbating. Um, (laughs) So, yeah. So one of the things Teresa and I talk about is like, you know, not getting stuck in defining what this relationship is. So kind of balancing being honest with ourselves of what we want out of life. Um, what we're not able to give each other, at least in this moment, and but what we do have that might not fit in like the traditional relationship. So I'd say one thing that really keeps Teresa and I together is a shared vision, a shared goal. We both feel pretty strongly about exploring the hobo thing, um, trying to push ourselves. Sometimes we get kind of stagnant. Sometimes we have more success than others, but like rewilding, foraging, you know, so it's so cool to have this companion that is all about doing the sometimes uncomfortable, stinky, gross stuff, you know, (laughs) but like exploring that. And, um, this podcast, I think we both really care about like throwing our creativity into the podcast, like trying to produce something that people want to listen to and that we get to research and learn. We learn so much. I mean, my God, just consider for a second this season already, what we've learned about the Black Panthers, uh, Catholic worker houses, Mm -hmm. Uh, mushrooms. Mm-hmm. I mean, shit. 
it's it's you know we derive a lot of benefit and so even though I'm more sexually oriented than Teresa. I think Teresa just kind of rolls with it a lot easier than me. You know, we've had conversations about, like, I don't know if I want to, like, not have sex for the rest of my life. And that that's a question mark that hangs in the air. Like, what do we do about that? I mean, neither one of us are big believers in open relationships. Uh, I just haven't been impressed from what I've seen. And even if we were going to try it, how the hell do you do that? Two people living in a van. <laughs> so right now that's on the back burner. You know, I'm just being honest here. It's nobody's fault. It's just, you know, this this unprecedented, unmapped situation we're exploring. And I just wanted to, can I jump in there? Sure. So, yeah, the, there's been some things that I've learned. And, of course, we don't want to have a whole podcast about this because we could have a whole podcast about this. Getting it on and getting along, part two. Yeah. Um, some things that I, I feel like I've taken away from this experience is uh, I really appreciated the other day, like, there is a time and place for conversations to happen and to recognize a lot of times I feel like, I feel like this is probably one of the main causes of divorce. It's like, you're not picking the right time to talk about this. And maybe, maybe you perceive it as this is, there's never a right time. But for me, I feel like I can better listen and handle talking about a relationship when I am not like just fresh off feeling like I am feeling like a victim as bad as that sounds or feeling like jealous or feeling insecure. That's not the best time to broach the subject of like, hmm, maybe we should try having an open relationship because that is going to incite an emotional response. So being able to recognize because we're both adults, like, hmm, I think this is an okay time for us to talk about this. Obviously, it's a uh, you know, a sensitive, very sensitive subject, but I feel strong enough to talk about this as an adult. Um, and something else is recognizing that it doesn't mean that you're a failure. It doesn't mean that you're not lovable or that there's something inherently wrong with you, even if there's like never been a time where it's worked out. It's just that maybe you haven't discovered what it is that you are. And I'm not talking about like LGBTQ per se, but maybe it's just like, you know, it's not like there's necessarily someone out there for everyone, but maybe there's like a certain situation for everyone, a certain circumstance for everyone. Like maybe you just work better having casual flings. Like maybe that's okay for you. Maybe that's okay. So I guess that also came to light. And, um, God, I feel like there was something else I wanted to say about that. Well, while you're thinking, uh, let me just jump in. And um, I'd say one of the things that helps Teresa is mutual respect, or Teresa and I, is a mutual respect we have for each other. I think we both see each other as fundamentally good people and recognize that, uh, you know, when we lose our tempers, when we uh, are careless with each other, when we are not communicating well, we both, I think, usually see past that, like, well, this is a good person, though. He's not, you know, he or she, depending on who's saying it, is not vindictive. Um, and I think that really helps, you know, because, like... Yeah, if you're with often, a vindictive person, that's a totally different situation. And, a lot of, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we can often inflate that vindictiveness, like, oh, you know, toxic people or whatever. But it's so easy to get in that pattern, you know. It's, it's immaturity, definitely. But to kind of, like, tit for tat, oh, you did this to me, I'm going to do this to you. That's what I mean by vindictive. And like, if you think that's 
toxic people over here and you're not in that group, bullshit. Like, we all slip into that sometimes. But Teresa and I, I think, recognize that and don't slip into that very often. We try to, like, be dependable to each other. If we say we're going to do something, we try to do it. You know, that kind of stuff. Just, like, a foundation of respect. And uh, I know that helps me through a lot of times that otherwise, you know, we would be might have a big blowout that wouldn't we would not recover from um and we agree on most things we've had so much time oh my god so much time (laughs) every moment to talk about things to you know challenge each other's philosophies that we agree on most things i would say the thing that we disagree on the most at this point (laughs) is probably like who is creating that smell who smells the most? Yeah. Like, is that you? Is that your breath? Did you just fart? It's that not, kind of thing. It's not a contest. You yeah. can stop competing. But you You're win. the grossest. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so I'll take that as a, uh, and a segue. And that is a perfect segue for yeah. what you want to talk about. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, we could have a whole other podcast on relationship stuff. But that's a nice, succinct update, I think. Um, so, there is... Uh, a growing lexicon of hobo words that are mostly centered around the grossness um, in our lives. (laughs) And not just words, but also phrases. So this is a short little um, window into our world. If you're grossed out or sensitive, you uh, sensitive listeners, be advised. Mm -hmm. Um, Our dog has some sort of weird, nasty stuff that happens sometimes in his ears. And he would shake his ears, like shake his head, and like things would be projected out of his ears, and it looked like fried chicken pieces. Oh my God! You're actually going to define what these? No, things I'm mean? just. I mean, I'm just kind of like leading. I might want to scratch out something really quick if you're going to oh. do that. Well, okay, so we call that ear chicken. Um, and another one associated with our dog is uh, his breath always smells like fishy, nasty, rancid seafood, and particularly after he. Um, cleans himself down there so we call that crab penis yeah um, if we smell crab penis we know what he's doing so we turn around like sherlock quit it i'll i'll explain this less but uh shit chips um and gumby often uh exclaims i farted myself and that's when it's don't put that on me you <laughs> farted yourself before too that's like if you can shit yourself <laughs> Then we believe you can fart yourself, and that's that kind that, like, lingers. It doesn't just, like, exit and go its own way. It wants to hang out with you and get to know you. Oh, my God, it's greasy and just, like... It's like sitting beside you with its arm around you, like, hey, buddy, and you're like, oh, God, get out of here. Yeah, it it cannot be diluted. Um, And with that also, our bedding the other day smelled like uh, French fried ass. Mm -hmm. Um, I evidently have breasts that look in two different directions, and I have called them stupid boobies, and from that, stoobies. And I want to reemphasize that this is Teresa's word, so before I get any hate <laughs> mail. Uh, something else that has to do with our dog, thankfully. Um, wow. Ass gravy. That's just gross. Yeah, and it actually is a thing. Like, he actually will sometimes leave a stain that he licks up. <laughs> I mean, it's it's some straight up ass gravy. Uh, something that is less gross, but is definitely a phrase that we use and uh, enough to include here is Jenny dip, and that's when we're cleaning our nethers. We're dipping our Jennies in the water, um, and I guess that's that's what I've got. Yeah, so there's a little window into hobo life. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and likewise, highly recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not for the faint of uh, for the weak stomach. It for the faint of fart. Faint of fart. <laughs> exactly. And we were sitting around a fire one night, our little two-person jungle fire, uh, smoking some weed that we'd got, and uh, really enjoying ourselves for free. And uh, free weed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got. Every now and then we run into somebody who very generously gives us a tiny little bud. And we don't smoke much weed, so, you know, I'll get a little pinch hitter and we just, like, smoke just enough. And it's enough for us because we're lightweight. So um, <laughs> a little goes a long way for us, which fits our hobo philosophy. But anyway, on this day, and it wasn't too long ago, maybe two weeks or so ago, Sherlock's laying out in the yard and there's <laughs> these little fruit flies, these little gnats that are, like, just a cloud over him, but they seem to prefer certain parts, namely his asshole. So there is a dense cloud of little gnats around his asshole, and it looks like they're going in and out. Like, hang, I don't know oh, what they're God. doing back there. But it's kind of fascinating in a, a gross hobo way, yeah. It might have been the ass gravy. Like, he just turned around, and he's, he's sniffing the ground where he was just at. Yeah, and... and Fruit flies and stuff like sweet stuff. Maybe we should try smearing that ass gravy no, on a cracker sometime. No, I don't good. know, but moving on. So, <laughs> in our stoned um, way of handling the situation, we were trying to get rid of the gnats, <laughs> and there's one of the PVC pipes laying on the ground that I was not currently using for the front porch. <laughs> so, we decided the best thing to do is, like, to get back. You know, this thing's, like, what, four feet long? At least. And to blow through it right into his asshole. Like, not into it, but, like, near it. No, it was into it. Uh, I mean, it wasn't, like, it contact, was like you. we were inflating him or anything. <laughs> but, yeah, we scattered the fruit flies. <laughs> but don't inhale through the pipe. Yeah, yeah. Do not <laughs> inhale. Like, can't emphasize that enough. Mm. So, you know, and, of course, that brought us much joy because who's not going to laugh blowing through a fart pipe? And this, the startled look on our dog's face was <laughs> priceless because much like a didgeridoo, it made a noise. And so hence the name fart pipe. So we got on this whole thing about like, wow, what if there was like an Olympics for hobos? A hobo. Oh, <laughs> ready? I'm not going to say it with you. You go ahead and say it. No, a Hobo Olympics. Hobo Olympics. <laughs> and we were thinking of some of the stuff that would be in the Hobo Olympics, namely the fart pipe. I'm not sure how you'd make that competitive. Maybe it would just be something for the kids to play with. Maybe like how long the pipe is. That would entail lung capacity strengths. Hmm. All right. I'm going to have to think more about that. Yeah. Um, and we were thinking like, what about a digging in your butt dance off? Like, you know, to see who can dance the best. But you got to be digging in your butt the whole time you're doing it. Because oh, sometimes an itchy butt goes with this kind of lifestyle. Sometimes you got shit chips. Yeah, sometimes you got shit chips. I'm you just going to warn you about that right now. That's nasty. Um, It is nasty. Even for hobos, it's nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, Best mulligan stew. And I was thinking like a mulligan stew is when the hobos are together around the jungle fires and everybody contributes something. So what if you had like, I don't know how this would work, but like two hours to... You couldn't bring any ingredients, but you had to run around in those two hours. I don't know how it would be set up yet. More thinking is involved. And, like, collect ingredients. Like, forage them, uh, borrow from people, and make the best stew. And then, like, it would be taste-tested by the judges. Hmm. You know, maybe the more seasoned veteran hobos. Um, <laughs> Underground Railroad. This is an interesting game for uh, um, <laughs> van life. It's fun for at least one person, but it's like when you're in your covers and you're next to somebody... And you, like, fart under the covers, and then you kind of, like, take your hand and, like, 
dig a little tunnel into the other person's covers. And what's the song you have to sing? Oh, yeah, if you can sing, like, old gospels, like, let my people go, or something like I that. I like the drinking gourd one. Follow the drinking gourd. And we were just, uh, Teresa's going to talk more about this, like, history we're learning. But apparently the first Underground Railroad actually went south to Florida. It sure did. Before it went north, you know, into the Union States. But, uh, yeah, so I keep that in mind, you know, when I'm I'm doing the Underground Railroad, that once again it's going south. For any budding hobo abolitionists. Yeah, and, and much fun is had. Um, when you can create that tunnel and the other person doesn't know it and they just suddenly wake up in the middle of the night and like, ah, ah, God, you stink. But again, I know this isn't getting me any, uh, (laughs) this is not looking good for me. But Did, Did you notice what he said about the different sheets? We have different sheets for this very reason, but he found a way. This is not the reason. You steal the covers. No, this is part of the reason is because he would fart under the covers and then... I would immediately smell it. So then with separate sheets, it was more of a barrier until he found the path. All right. That's a blatant lie, but that brings me to another event in the hobo competition, a liar's competition. So it's basically a storytelling competition with tall tales because the oral tradition, like being able to spin a good yard, a yarn, an offensive joke, something like that, you know, just like how full of shit can you be and how much can you entertain the people around you? If you're Gumby. That would be the Hobo Olympics. Well, it sounds like you're catching up with that uh, fallacious fart story. (laughs) Um, And who doesn't like a good game of smell my finger? I mean, come on. That's not even restricted to hobos. You know, like, you don't know where this finger has been. But if you can guess, there's a prize. (laughs) Maybe it'll be removing my hand. Um, Moving on. Mm. And, oh, a freaking treasure hunt. So I used to do this meetup group I called Wetico. Um a cannibal support group. And we invited people to meet us at a certain part of downtown Durham. We were going to walk around like three or four city blocks um, and just check all the dumpsters. And only one person showed up. And (laughs) so the three of us walked around and it was amazing the stuff we found, like dress shoes, a whole dumpster full of dress shoes, a discarded bicycle that was still in good condition, um, a little bit of food, just all kinds of stuff. But anyway, this would be based on that. So like A bunch of hobos would agree to meet at a certain place in some city and have a certain amount of time. You could not spend any money, but whatever treasures you could bring, whoever had the best treasure pile, the best scavenger, that would be the freaking scavenger hunt. So anyway, these are all budding ideas. You can add to it. Let us know if you have any ideas. But the Hobo Olympics, I mean, this could be the shit. I feel like there was this, um, when we were traveling, there was this event that we did not go to, but it was like crowning the Hobo King. Yeah. And I feel like they could revamp their uh, their events to include the Hobo Olympics. Yeah. I'd definitely jump a train and attend that damn thing. <laughs> and in lieu of the scavenging, um, I wanted to check in about dumpster diving. We did a podcast episode called Dumpster Diving and... And at the time, it was our longest podcast episode. And, uh, <laughs> when I listen to it now, it still sounds like really freaking long. But we had a lot of good information in there. But with the pandemic and everything, things have changed a little bit. Uh, it's gotten a little bit harder. We do still find good stuff in the dumpster. But I predicted that this was a window that was closing. And I feel like I'm seeing it close. I think it is getting harder. And not just because of the pandemic. Um, Gumby Damas. Yeah, yeah, Gumby Damas has predicted the future. <laughs> I made some other predictions, too, but maybe I'll get back to that. Um, so, yeah, I feel like the window is closing, and I feel like a big part of the reason of that, 
Well, of course, there's the depression we're going into. You know, people are getting poorer, more homeless people. I think a lot more homeless people than uh, the news is letting on. And also, too many of us have promoted it, myself included, with the episode Dumpster Diving In. We got Facebook pages. Every day I'm seeing somebody saying like, hey, never dumpster dive before. Any advice? And my advice is always something like, don't. If you're one of the people that already does this, you want to share it. You want to brag about it. It seems like such a resource, but it's limited. It's like encouraging every single human being to go out and gather ginseng. The ginseng's going to be wiped out. Mm. So people have this damn white settler colonial mentality where if they see a resource, they exploit it. They jump in there. They want their piece. So people dive dive on this dumpster diving, the scavenging, and leave a freaking mess, just like the settlers did. You know, oh, there's gold in these hills? Let's all pour in, grab what you can, and let's leave a decimated, destroyed area. That's what people also do with dumpster diving, the same damn mindset. I am so pissed off. There's a thrift store, for instance, that we go to, and people always leave stuff after the the thrift store is closed. And it is amazing stuff. I mean, really good stuff. And it would be such a resource because it hasn't been claimed yet, you know? And if anybody catches you going through it, all you have to do is say, actually, I dropped this off just now, and I think my wife, like, left my favorite shirt in here by mistake, so I'm trying to reclaim it. It might not be the best story, but it's a story. But again and again, what I see is these goddamn scavengers tear it apart. It looks like a group of dogs. And what that's going to translate to is they're going to have to find some way to stop this. That's what I keep seeing at dumpsters, too. Assholes going in there making a freaking mess. And lo and behold, there's a lock on the dumpster. There's a compactor. So, yeah, this window is closing, and uh, it's the fault of the greedy corporations, but it's also the fault of these goddamn scavengers. And that pisses me off so much, because there's so many groups of people I want to feel like are my people, I want to ally myself with, but I just look around and like, man, you guys are a bunch of fucking idiots. So, yeah, that 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 ticks me off. And uh, along with the reduction of uh, fines in the dumpster, just the types of food and the just overall amounts of things that are in the dumpsters. Um, this summer, you know, we were also traveling. So in the, in the mountains, we didn't encounter as many dumpsters as we do here in Durham. So that meant spending more money on food and, you know, trying to be thrifty about purchasing food, but also, you know, recognizing that we're not really, you know, bringing any money in, especially with not doing summer camps um, because of the pandemic and also like no pet sitting gigs and stuff because people aren't going, um, they are not traveling very much. So money. And by the way, thank you for people who have donated to us. Um, Hey man, that's helped a lot. That has really saved us this summer. Um, not only when Sherlock got sick and we were having to buy different foods for him, um, but also when the van broke down and it was like, (laughs) do we just walk away from the van right now, which is always, you know, something looming in our future or can we try and fix this? Yeah, one of our listeners, Michael from Washington, D.C., like I posted something about having to work on our van, and uh, right away he was like, oh, well, I can help, and he donated right then, so that was awesome. Thank you very, very much. Like, you really have saved us 
a number of times. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so yeah, the, uh, the gigs we have tried to, uh, or I've tried to post some things on Craigslist, which Craigslist used to be so awesome. And like you could post virtually, you know, anything you wanted about getting a job. Now you have to pay to post a something to get a job. So I'm trying to post something that combines Gumby's um, experience with teaching about like wilderness survival skills and, and what we call nature therapy, as well as my experience with yoga and other um, physical uh, type things. And I keep getting my post removed, removed, removed. So basically what they're dragging me to is having to pay to make this post available, visible, so people can contact us. And uh, I think that stinks, but maybe, maybe in the, um, in the future, we'll be able to get the word out more. Gumby, did you want to, did you have anything to say about money? Money! Well, I mean, one of the things we haven't talked about, I don't, I don't think at all, because we tend to not put our focus on money until it's like, you know, we need to. So when we're doing a podcast, we're often not thinking about money. We're thinking about our philosophies and stuff like that. It's our situation, like our specific situation. So when Teresa and I moved into the van, kind of our agreement, and Teresa's got a lot more money saved up than I do. Um, We both had a pretty good little chunk when we started. Um, Was that we were going to take turns filling up the gas tank. And beyond that, everything was on me. I pay the van insurance. I pay the any kind of maintenance. So this was all fine because... You know, we're living in the van, and if I only have to pay half the gas, you know, that's a benefit. And it made sense to me, since I own the van, that I take care of the van. Um, With the pandemic especially, you know, like at that time, we were scavenging pretty much 100% of our food. So it seemed like that would work. Um, Now we're not getting gigs. We're having to think about money different. You know, I can't count on summer camp like I used to, teaching at summer camp. Um... As Teresa, I think, said, we're buying more food. Um, So we've gotten in this imbalance with our money where, you know, we're looking at it on the one hand, like very practical. Like Teresa's like, well, you know, I've got the most money, so it makes sense that, you know, I would spend the bulk of it. So Teresa pretty much buys all of our food. Um, She even volunteers to, like, buy parts for the van when I need to replace them, which I usually decline and say, no, this is on my plate. I can do this. Um, we still take turns with the gas tank, but money is tricky. It's, it, it creates an inequality. Therese and I don't often fight about money, but nonetheless, um, I'd say it puts a strain on our relationship, you know, cause as a guy, well, I don't know if it's just a guy thing, but you want to feel like you're a provider of some kind. It doesn't need to be money, but it can be hard to find your way in that when, when there's a imbalance of who's spending money. So we struggle with that. I wouldn't say fight about it, but struggle with that. Like, what's the answer? Um, It seems like this is part of the taint of using money. If we were both straight-up hobos, hitchhiking, you know, just kind of scraping up money as we go, this would not be an issue. Um, It would be like combined money for us. But since it's not quite that, it's kind of tricky. And, uh, yeah, we, we still don't know what the answer for that is because if we just do everything equal... For instance, Teresa might want to eat at a place, you know, that I might otherwise, if it was just up to me, say, I can't afford it. I'm not going to eat there. But I enjoy eating there, too. So Teresa's in the position of, like, if I want to eat there, i got to pay for Gumby's meal. I just don't feel right that I'm going to, like, eat in front of him or whatever. Um, 
So yeah, and I've been in this situation before um, with other people where I'm like dating somebody and they've got more money than me. Usually anybody I date has more money than me. Um, and just the inequality, how it creates a growing strain. So Teresa, that's about all I want to really throw in about that. Um, just so that's something that to look out for, you know, to if you're with somebody and money is involved, you're not completely freegan, really spend some time with that. Because even though you might want to do the practical thing like, oh, this person has by far the most money, so they're going to take more of that uh, responsibility or whatever, it is going to create a strain. I feel like you can't even avoid that because money is kind of the symbol we use for our time and energy. So uh, beware that imbalance. It matters. Yeah, I'd just like to add, and then I'll segue into that next topic that we're going to cover, but um, money is really complicated. And Gumby and I were, you know, discussing, like, well, what's going to happen um, when we get back to Durham, like we're in the mountains and, you know, we've been through the summer where there's a number of things going on with the van that we weren't expecting and, you know, having to pay for food and everything, we're still escaping society. You know, as much as we want to be freegans, it doesn't happen when you live in a minivan because of all the maintenance and the fuel and the insurance and the this and the that that come up. Um, but yeah, for me, it's a really just a complicated dance of like, I'm not ready, uh, like mentally not ready, emotionally not ready to just like give all my money away. And I have um, a responsibility to someone who, I mean, he's not family. He is uh, a person that I met like <laughs> seven years ago. And I've seen like a few times in my life in a country on the other side of the world. And I feel like if I were to just like walk away from my money, that could harm, uh, his life because I'm paying for this life-saving medication for him for the rest of his life. And while I don't have a lot of money, um, that's a life-saving amount to him. So that's why I, I don't feel right at the moment to just stop having my money. Like, I guess I could just send him all my money and say, all the best, I'm out. But I don't know. Like, I just, it's a very complicated situation and maybe I'm imposing it on myself, but I, uh, yeah. So there's that. And there's also, you know, like I've never really been in a situation where I don't have money. I've been on a houseless retreat that we didn't carry money. And you know what? It worked out. Surprisingly, we actually made money. <laughs> yeah, like we we hardcore like looked for change, and we ended up with so much money we didn't even know what to do with it because we had all everything covered. Seven dollars and change felt like a treasure that we couldn't figure out what to spend it on. Yeah, so yeah, money is really strange. And um, what I was saying before about like you know what what are we gonna do in the future? I, you know, I have more choices I guess than Gumby does, and I just don't know about you know, getting an apartment or getting even my own van, because I feel like that's taking a step in the wrong direction. Um, in just a moment, uh, a little bit, we'll talk about, uh, an idea that I had, but for now I will say that, uh, money and, and being homeless and trying to get back into the game, so to speak, uh, 
is generally what people are doing when they're on the streets. Like if they can, they want to try and get back into a place where they're like in a house, they're, you know, quote unquote comfortable. And we're not. We're trying to escape society. Yeah, we don't want to be comfortable. <laughs> no, we're, we're comfortable in a different way because we're trying not to feed into this monster um, any more than we have to at this point. Yeah. But we were introduced, or go ahead. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but uh, I just wanted to throw in about money that, you know, there's a stimulus check and I have finally gone through the little thing to fill out online. (laughs) I've been proud up until now that I have not taken government money. Um, But now I'm at the kind of bottom of my savings. I don't want to just borrow money from Teresa that I don't know how the hell I'm going to pay back or when. Um, So I decided, you know, if the government's got some money there and they're going to give it to me, I mean, what the hell else is going to happen to it? It ain't like they're going to give it to the poor, you know? (laughs) They're going to fund somebody to do some shit that I don't agree with. So I filled it out, and hopefully that's on the way now. So I finally got my little stimulus check coming. But it kind of puts off the end a little bit more. But I got to say that when I anticipate running out of money, when I finally get to the bottom of that barrel, you talked about that dance, Teresa. I kind of feel like it's a dance for me between dread and excitement. Mm-hmm. I got to say I'm a little scared, even though I've done it before. You know, I know that like without money, life can still be good in some ways, even better. Yeah. But yeah, it's so easy for that to feel when you don't do it to feel uh, you don't exactly forget it. But for some reason, the anxiety, I don't know if they have brainwashed us so completely or, or what, but you start getting scared of it all over again, even though you know better. Yeah. So I got to admit, I do feel a dread about the money running out. But I also feel an excitement because I know that with that is going to come another level of freedom and that with whatever challenges or discomforts come with that, I will, in fact, have taken a step closer to where I want to be. So, you know, I just want to own that, that like I'm trying to enjoy the money. I don't want to jinx myself or something doesn't happen to the money. Um, But, yeah, trying to find that balance. And one of the ways I do that is like, you know, I get the beer I want. I don't get the cheapest beer. But I'm trying to think, like, what do you do with money? I don't want to hoard it like a dragon, you know? I want to enjoy it. And when the the enjoyment, the gift has run out, enjoy that. Enjoy the freedom of poverty. What's that uh, that line from Dune? Fear is the... Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the mind killer. Yeah, I definitely feel like that fear of not having money is deeply ingrained in us. And... That leads us to a uh, an interaction we had briefly when we had clothes drying on the side of our van in this parking lot that we uh, we often use the Wi-Fi at a grocery store. So we're like sitting on the side of the store. It's kind of off to the side. You can't see um, our clothes from like if you're looking at the store, they're on the other side of the van. So it, to us, it's not a big deal. But <laughs> we have had people comment and uh, this this guy came up to us and he was dressed like a landscaper. Like he had on a shirt from his landscaping company and he just came up to talk to us. Nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, saying that his like day job, like his regular job during the week is a police officer, but he's not a police officer that goes around arresting people or like looking into what people are doing. He just drives around in a white car that's not like a regular police car, and he talks to people who are homeless. And he tries to figure out what he can do to help them, to connect them with resources. And (laughs) Gumby and I were just like, 
after he left, like, what the hell was that? Yeah, I told him, like, I wish more cops sounded like you. I might have a different opinion at this point in my life. But, yeah, he, uh, you know, it sounded really good, and it's kind of hopeful and optimistic that there's a cop out there, and he says he's not out to arrest anybody. He just wants to help. That's what he's there for. He's getting paid. It's his job to look for homeless people, to approach them, and to say, how can I connect you with the resources you need? On the other hand, you know, of course, that is part of the indoctrination, too. So, you know, I, on one hand, I want to applaud the guy, and I do applaud the guy. On the other hand, um, careful of that, because what he's helping us do is stay dependent on the government. So, Get you back in the game. Yeah, it's kind of the good cop, bad cop, but they're both cops. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you want to say about that? I just thought that was interesting, and I I tried to look him up um, on the Durham force to see if there was any additional information about this I guess you would call him a resource officer, but I didn't find anything. So I don't know. I don't know. It's really weird when somebody comes up and tells you they're a cop and they have like no identification. You're like, okay, but his bearing was like a cop, though. I mm. can imagine him in a uniform. Mm. So the other thing that uh, when, we came, when we came back to Durham, I was pretty excited about was to see my garden that I had left in uh, early June when we went to the mountains. I just wanted to see what had happened to it. And um, I think we had pictures posted on the Escaping Society Facebook page. But basically, it was like a container garden. We have a YouTube video on it, too. Oh, and there... <laughs> it's, a hobo scavenged garden is what the video is called. And there must have been a growing season like hell in central North Carolina because the garden was overtaken by... A couple plants, but mostly burdock. And if you know what burdock is, you know that it is, it can be thick. It can be like huge stems of it or whatever. I mean, whew, I feel like, and, and also what happened was the burdock shaded out a lot of the plants. And before the burdock got there, I guess, um, from what I heard, the deer had actually eaten a lot of what had been growing in the garden. So I don't know if it was um, worth it to have a garden and just leave it, uh, which makes me wonder about these gorilla gardeners. Like, how worthwhile is it to do that? Maybe if you're just, like, throwing seeds over a fence and something grows, that's okay. But if you take the time to, to fill up containers with soil and plant things and try to grow them, it might not be worthwhile because I felt like when I got back, shit, I should have just... I should just have taken all that energy and used it to harvest and forage the burdock and maybe the yellow dock, the seeds. So I may still do that um, in the coming weeks. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so, you know, this being a check-in episode, I want to check in a little bit about our uh, mental health. Um, <laughs> and I got to say, one of the challenges that we find somewhat related to the pandemic, but we were struggling with this a little bit before it too, was finding purpose. You know, um, we've got all this free time and what we find that we end up doing with it a lot is like, just where do we hang out? Where do we like stay and not get messed with during the day? Where are we going to go to sleep at night and not get messed with? And it can be hard finding purpose in that. So I think, you know, both of us sometimes sink into depressions, a kind of pointlessness, um, if you ever wonder why we do this podcast, I feel like that's one of the big things that helps us is this podcast. It gives us focus for things to study, uh, knowledge that we want to um, get more reacquainted with. 
So that really helps us to feel some sense of purpose that we're putting something out there that hopefully is hopefully is helpful for people or at least entertaining. <laughs> um, and yeah, the stagnancy, you know, like it costs money to travel in a van. This is another big disadvantage of van life over hitchhiking. It doesn't cost money to travel hitchhiking. You throw your thumb out. The world really is your oyster with a van. You got to balance that. You're you're choosing to have a certain level of luxury compared to straight up roughing it, but it costs money. So, you know, we got to take that into account so we can find feel kind of stagnant, not wanting to waste gas money, um, and yeah, just this whole pandemic. And but one of the things that I remind myself of is I don't think we ha- actually have less purpose than other people. Um, I think we actually, I would say, have more purpose than other people because of what we're exploring. But we're not distracted. We have less distractions. I can't just turn on the TV and like watch daytime TV all day and veg out. So I have to face that. And so, you know, on one hand, in certain moods, I'm kind of like, man, I don't want to feel like this. Uh, you know, it's almost tempting to like get a job and feel the purpose of like, I work, I get a paycheck, I use this paycheck to pay the bills, I've got all these distractions, my favorite video games, blah, 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 and I probably wouldn't feel that as much. But on the other hand, I feel like if I don't feel that, how am I ever going to address it? So that's part of the mental health of what we're dealing with. And I'd say I think the pandemic is maybe hitting us less hard than other people. Our lives don't look so much different. We've lost some resources, namely the library. Mm -hmm. Um, But other than that, we're kind of doing about what we did before, whereas all these other people, you know, are with school being so different and work being so different and sheltering in place. I mean, we can't shelter in place. So, (laughs) you know, that that might be a, a good thing about living in the van that the pandemic has affected us. Is there anything you can think of right off the top of your head, Teresa, that uh, you feel like specifically uh, the way we're living that the pandemic is influencing? Well, I feel like we weren't doing a whole lot of activities before the pandemic, like going to classes or, or different meetup groups. But right when you really feel like that might be a good thing, like to break up your your routine, to like meet new people and have different discussions and, you know, possibly even have uh, your own group. Uh, now it's kind of difficult and it's not yeah. impossible. We literally were having that conversation right before the pandemic like, hit our area. We should stop being so isolated. Like we should like get out and meet more people. And then like now you're supposed to be isolated. And it's it's not that things aren't happening. Just real quick, I'll say I saw a group, a, a small group of women in a park the other day. And they were like doing yoga-ish type stretches and maybe some like... Uh, physical, more physical exercises or whatever. So they were together. They were distanced. They were out in the open, fresh air, sunshine. So I feel like it's possible, which is what I was trying to do with the Craigslist ad, if they'll let me freaking post it, um, was get a small group together. But yeah, I I just feel like it's, there's, there's, uh, there's virtually no opportunities to hang out with people, uh, right now. Like you really have to work for that. Yeah. And I'm going to go back to the farting thing really quick. Um, you know, I just realized like how it might sound. I want you to know that uh, <laughs> I was not playing Underground Railroad 
before we were platonic. So <laughs> it just occurred to me, like, let's put that cart in, like, ahead of the horse there. So, uh. That was important, huh? That was important. That was weighing <laughs> on me right now. I was like, you know, I can imagine our listeners saying, well, no wonder they don't have a sex life. He's playing Underground Railroad? No, that's kind of what we've, uh, <laughs> replaced it with. Um, but. One thing I want to say about the pandemic, and I don't want to get into a whole, like, thing about the pandemic because we've talked at length about it, and that's not what this episode is about, is one fact that I encountered that I found very significant. You know, I've been suspicious of not whether the pandemic exists. That's not the question for me, but some of the reactions, how it's being exploited and used by the powerful. There's one group of people that have benefited hugely from the pandemic. Maybe not the only group, but this one group billionaires. Consider that. Consider consider this. Consider the billionaires, how much political influence they have. These are the people that fund the lobbies that fund the politicians. So all these big worldwide decisions, if you think they're separate from the billionaires, I mean, you're just not following the breadcrumb trail. The, The connections are obvious, blatant. Jeff Bezos is at the top of this list. If you want to know how much money a billionaire is making from the pandemic, if Jeff Bezos gave every one of his 876,000 employees a one-time bonus of $100,000 apiece, that's $100,000 times 876,000. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of freaking money. He'd still be as rich as he was before the pandemic. That's how much money he's making because of this push that we're becoming more reliant on technology. So you do what you want to with that with that bit of information. But if you feel like it's not important, I don't know how you don't feel like that's significant. Um yeah, and I guess that's all I want to say about that right now. If you can throw in anything you want to on that, Teresa. Take it any direction you want. Yeah, we heard that on the radio the other morning. And then I think they repeated it again last night. And uh, I just, we were blown away when we read that. Because, of course, we knew that someone was benefiting or some handful of people were benefiting. But it didn't realize the scale. Yeah, so if there's things not making sense about this pandemic, I mean, consider, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll just leave it alone. I don't need to spell it out more. Speaking of things not making sense, um, something else that we've recently, Gumby and I have talked about, is like an early morning, what'd you call it, pillow talk conversation about... Oh yeah, we stayed up till like 2 o'clock in the morning. Teresa and I usually go to bed about 9.30. But we've also started drinking coffee in the evening, which is a bad habit. Bad. And we wake up at first thing in the morning. Like, I wake up before the sun. I can feel the sun coming. And I almost wake up, always wake up and watch the sky lighten. But... We got so uh, involved in, Teresa, as Teresa said, there was, oh, man, if you go to McDonald's and get their uh, <laughs> mocha and ask for a shot of hazelnut, man, that's a good drink. So we drank that. We shared it and uh, got to talking and, like, stayed up till, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. Really unusual for us talking about – there's your segue. <laughs> okay. So – and uh, I do not recommend going to McDonald's, but, yeah. Uh, I do for that coffee. <laughs> Um, so there is such a broken connection with family. Like, let's start with our family. We, I've talked about the importance of tribe. Gumby and I are always saying, like, you know, we think tribe is really 
the solution, even though we wouldn't even know how to be in a tribe. Look at us. We can't even get along with, most of us can't get along with our own families. Yeah, and I wouldn't even say start with your family. I kind of feel like the family is the <laughs> final dissolution. Yeah, the final blow. We lost our tribe. You know, we don't know what that means. And so these family values, I mean, now, well, I'll just jump in there as you, uh, <laughs> I'll quit interrupting. No, it's fine because, I mean, basically, you know, we, we talk about this stuff together. So, yeah, I, uh, I concluded that, wow, I am the oldest of all the cousins in my family and I kind of suck at this. Like, communication, what communication? I have a cousin that lives, I don't know, less than 10 miles away from us right now. Do you know how many times I communicate with her? Do you know how many times I've seen her since she moved here? Zero. That's a bad track record. And I have cousins that, I mean, they don't live in North Carolina. Maybe I could be, you know, given a pass for that. But that doesn't make sense. And it doesn't have to be cousins. I mean, even my parents. My parents moved across the country. And, you know, occasionally I call them over the computer but it's very few and far between. So my, um, my solution to that, my first step, I think I mentioned this earlier, like starting something, like start one thing. So I said, Gumby, when I get on Wi-Fi, the next time I get on Wi-Fi, I'm going to send a message to my cousin. And I did. And she sent message, a message back and we kind of, you know, just had our small talk. And that's okay. It's not like I need her to tell me everything that's happened in her life. Not especially over Facebook Messenger, you know, like just, you know, hey, we just got back to Durham and I just want to check up on you and make sure everything's okay during these crazy times. And yeah. Yeah. And Gandhi said something to the effect of if you want to, like, change the world, first look to your own household. And, uh, you know, as we're talking, it occurs to me, like, I've gotten into conversations with people about how do we build tribe? How do we repair tribe? One of the first things when I started studying how uh, colonization and empire works is you break the tribe. Um, there was so much effort put out by the U.S. government to break the tribe, first to separate them from their land and then the Land Allotment Act to separate them from each other. Like, no, you own this land and you own that land. You don't own communal land anymore. So to really separate people and the whole time, you know, we got these uh, conservatives that are saying, you know, traditional family values. And, uh, well, ironically, I think actually they're the group for all that could be said against them that maybe is holding on to the most traditional family values. But Isn't that interesting? Like, yeah, we got this fierce liberal individualism. Go mm -hmm. ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that, like how things are taken and, and spun in a certain way. You know, I've, I have friends who, to this day, if you mention the word Christianity, it's like, oh, gross. Like, it makes me want to puke in my mouth. Like, I just, I can't tolerate that. And yet, well, fine. If you don't like Christians, why is that? Is it because all the Christians that you know aren't uh, acting in the way that Jesus was saying to act? Like, how are they acting? Are they maybe acting like a bunch of, like, capitalist pigs that want to take all the money and, and exploit people? Maybe we should look at that. Maybe sh we should look at uh, the class hierarchy in our society. Yeah, and I don't know how much Christianity weighs in on, like, holding together these family units, but I do know that, like, these entitled values of fierce individualism um, 
coupled with the technology, I mean, the last, I feel like the very last thing we had that connected us with other people was the family unit. And now we got people living all over the country. Like you might only be able to communicate with your family through Skype. You don't walk next door to your family farm to get sugar from your mom, much less live like with your family, which was something that humans did way back. I mean, it was strength to live with your family and then your family within your whole tribe. My God, what a strong, secure, healthy thing that must have been. And now we don't even have our family. And I am really bad with that because my mom was adopted. She's completely cut from her family ties, social anxiety, so doesn't get out anywhere. Um, My dad, his family just fell apart. I mean, for the most part, you got like maybe these two people that talk together, maybe these two people, but I'm not a part of any of that. I am completely estranged from my family. So as Teresa and I are talking about this, we're like, what if we tried to be proactive and tried to repair (laughs) some of this and reach out? And to Teresa's credit, she did reach out to a member of her family. I have yet to work up to that because it seems so, uh, I feel so estranged from them. But man, it really was an eye-opening, jarring thought to realize like, my God, they have so far separated us that so many of us don't even relate to our families anymore. Like even that final bond of humanity is dissolving. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to deviate a little bit from the order here and just jump in and say, well, there's two things. The other night we watched this movie called I, Daniel Blake, and I believe it was like a British movie. Um, I'm not going to give you the synopsis, but there was a character a woman, young woman who had two kids and she had um, fallen on hard times. And instead of like, she, I don't know exactly, you know, what was supposed to be all the backstory, but she had a mom, a mum, that she spoke with on the phone. Um, it seemed like daily or at least on a regular basis. So it didn't seem like they had a bad relationship. And why sh- this young woman decided to move all the way away from her family and try to make it on her own. Because then she really, you know, no one was blaming her. She was doing the best that she could. And it's not like she made bad choices. But then she kind of started to make some questionable choices. I don't want to say good or bad because it's hard to to say, like, what makes a choice good or bad, especially when you don't seem to have many choices. But just the um, the reasoning behind not wanting to live with family. Like, it's shameful. Like, oh, you oh, you still live with your parents. I remember, I was talking about Nepal. Um, this guy, his name was Shiva. He was one of the tutors at the orphanage where I was at. And he asked me, you know, I always wonder why Westerners move out of their parents' house. Like, why is that? And I said, to be honest with you, first of all, I don't know. But my guess is because they want to do things that they're um, too shamed, ashamed to do or, or embarrassed to do in their parents' house, like have sex. And he said, but I live with my parents and you see I have a, a child. So, <laughs> I mean, that was his way of saying, like, I have sex in my parents' house. And it's like, yeah, what is that? That's weird, right? Why are we so ashamed? And where do these fucking values come from? Like, where, who taught us this thing, this this these values that separate us from our family, think how much weaker that, that we are. I mean, all by yourself, it's just, I know we're going to talk more with some of the topics that we want to talk about with like 
how we keep getting splintered, but my God, you know, to me, this is a big one. We're even splintered from our own family unit. And who does that serve Mm -hmm. over and over? Who gets served with that? Um, In line with that, I just want to talk real quickly about my misanthropy. I've become such a misanthrope. I can't help it. If I'm, if I'm honest, I, for the most part, despise people, the people around me. I hate the rich, these bastards that have too much, that are so fucking entitled, that if I, you know, walk near their yard and they look at my shabby clothes, they eyeball me, you know, to make sure that I'm not going to take anything from them. And then these assholes that are willing to take these jobs or they carry around guns to do the willing of people who have too much while other people don't have enough. And then the fucking poor God damn, get your shit together. We got <laughs> so few resources and you're going to like trash the free campsites. You're going to not only dumpster dive, but leave a mess. So there's a lock on the dumpster. I just don't know who to ally myself with anymore. Mm-hmm. And then you got these resistance movements, so-called, that don't do shit but talk and feel better than everybody else and compete with each other to see who sounds smarter. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just... I feel like I am so done with people, and I feel like more and more I'm done with people. And so this gets in the way of reaching out to community, to reaching out to family, because mm-hmm. I recognize, like, whatever's going to come next... Anybody who has found their way to have a tribe, that's going to be one of the biggest factors. Nobody wants to have to do uh, to live without civilization on your own. If you think you're like doing fine without all these people, it's because of civilization. It is a fool's paradise. Mm-hmm. It's an illusion that we're all about to wake up from. So I don't recommend misanthropy, but I feel it. And I don't know. I can empathize. I can kind of understand how people get the way they are, but it doesn't make me like them anymore. Um, yeah. And in line with that, Teresa, you want to tell your laundromat story really quick or either one? Cause that seems to be a hot spot to run into, uh, just unnecessary <laughs> shitholery. Yeah. <clears throat> Unspoken rule of laundromat. If you put your soap or whatever containers, even like clothing, if you put that like on or in a machine, that means you're using it. And I was there, because uh, we were washing our bedding as well as some clothing because we just wanted to freshen things and make sure we weren't getting, like, you know, illnesses from <laughs> having dirty stuff. So I uh, I was putting the laundry in one washer, and I had the basket in front of another one, which had my soap on top. And this woman came in and was like, yeah, you need to move your stuff because I'm using that wa- washer. And I was like... And by the way, there are just four of these larger washers, which I was using the larger ones, but there's plenty of smaller ones. And there were two other big washing machines that were up for grabs. No one was around them. But she first came to the washer that I was in front of because she wanted to use it. And I was like, "Um, okay, but I was using it. (laughs) I'm going to use this washer. So, and then she just kind of you know, started talking under her breath and, um, using profanities and stuff like I would never do. Um, (laughs) but it was mostly like, I think she was just being a bitch, but it's that entitlement of like, all right, there is a person that's, you know, we have to share these resources. Um, why are you being so fucking confrontational? Like, I don't understand that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
there's a way of asking like, oh, are you using this washer? Here. No, I'm not. Or yes, I am. You don't have to be a fucking bitch. That's really all I want to say. Yeah. I mean, all these hurricanes, you know, I just, I feel like we deserve it. These viruses coming through, we deserve it. That wind blowing your big important house down, the floods coming and bringing your shit right back to you that you've been dumping in the waterways, <laughs> these fires that are burning you and choking you, these shooters that could sh- pop up anywhere and like bring some of the violence that you've been funding your whole life right back in your goddamn face. I mean, what do you say about a whole culture of people that knows they are selling their children's future so they can have comforts right now and don't give a shit. I mean, yeah, I guess I've crossed the line and become a misanthrope. misanthrope. Um, so as far as individuals go, I can get along with individuals. But man, humanity as a whole, I, I don't have any hope for it. And it's because we don't know people, because we're afraid to interact. We're, we're so fearful that someone is going to challenge us or someone is going to like make us question our narrative. Um, that we just put people in boxes. Like we just say, oh, you know, all white people must be rich racists and therefore I need to, you know, be confrontational with them. Or all black people are poor and have a halo around their head. Oh, you're a white woman? We don't care what you think, Karen. Yeah, and, you know, like I had lunch with a friend of mine who happens to be black and she... uh, She's questioning. I know this is, you know, on our list of stuff. Laugh when somebody says happens to be. She happens to be black. (laughs) Um, Yesterday, she happened to be black as well. And you know, she's saying like, she doesn't believe this Black Lives Matter stuff. She believes all lives matter because what sense does it make to say just Black Lives Matter? And that's coming from a black woman. And so I'm just saying, like, just touching on that because I feel like. We are being separated. And I, again, I feel like I need to deviate and just go ahead and say this. So uh, we watched this documentary that was called Secrets of the Dead, The Untold Story of America. And it was talking about St. Augustine in La Florida. That's the um, oldest continuously habited, inhabited city in this land that we call the United States of America, even though it wasn't under British rule when it was founded, um, questioning, like, where was the beginning of our country? And there's this, um, this project I mentioned before, the 1619 project that's being pushed, um, by certain people who are, um, they're, they're bringing up really good points, really there are a lot of holes in the history that we're taught. However, by bringing up some of the history and not all of the history, we're once again splintering groups that could be brought together by saying, hey, you have problems, I have problems. Here's our common ground. We don't have to be the same. You can be your tribe, I can be mine. But for example... With this 1619 project, it's talking about the history of America um, viewed through like the enslavement of people and how black people fought for the freedoms that we have now. If it weren't for black people, we would not have a democracy is one of the things that's brought up. And Gumby and I have talked about like um, 
the Indigenous People's History of the United States book, Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz, how that history is often left out. Same with this. However, what if we looked upon it as a class war or class structure, questioning not splintering by the color of our skin, but by how come Jeff Bezos has so many billions of dollars while other people are barely making ends meet? They, they can't even find enough food to eat. So I feel like there's just so many ways to splinter people and to, to drive them apart. Well, to be the devil's advocate, I would say that the argument is Jeff Bezos had the ideas, took the initiative, like in the capitalist economy, that if anybody had done what Jeff Bezos did – that they would have had the opportunity or at least the potential to make that much money. And that's why he has so much. He would say he earned it. So what would you say to that? Well, I would say in tribe, um, I imagine that that wouldn't happen. It wouldn't be about one person making all the money and hoarding it. It would be about making sure that our community, our tribe, our even just our family is well taken care of. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's the problem. It's the underlying values of why somebody would want to keep that much for themselves. And like we said, so if you are somebody who would have done the same thing, but just didn't have the opportunity, you're no better. You have the same underlying sickness, mm. those faulty values. Yeah. So I guess, um, <laughs> that led me to thinking about building a shelter in the woods and how, um, that might enable me to, and Gumby, to um, be in the woods a little more to explore more of our wilderness survival skills and also to have a place that's um, kind of hidden, not just uh, in a van where we have to keep moving around. It could be a more of a stable place, a connection to the land. And we're talking about land that we don't own. Um, I was also, you know, thinking about, like, well, what does that mean to own land like could I potentially own a piece of land and and really what security does that bring to me we recently met an individual who has land and um, considers himself a prepper very much so to the point where he was very cautious to not tell his friends where he is located at because his friends according to him like wouldn't help out they would just take take some take of them. some of them but he's like inviting us up there, people that he doesn't really even know because he values the skills and knowledge that we have that could potentially help him in like the zombie apocalypse. But something else that he said was his land is being encroached upon by uh, developers, whether that's a logging company or a housing development. So just because you own land, and it's the same with my parents, they, you know, moved across the country. They want to be in a place that's like more surrounded by natural beauty that they uh, connect with. And they're having the housing developers, the contractors, uh, dynamiting rocks right up against their property line. So, and this is a small piece of land. I mean, they don't even have to mow it because they just put rocks down. It's like a tiny piece of land. Imagine not being told that someone's going to like bring out dynamite to blast rocks and dust into the air. Um, so it doesn't matter. Like that security is just a false sense of security. It's an illusion. It's because you own land. Yeah. You might have a little bit of privacy more so than somebody, you know, living in a van and sitting in a parking lot, but they're like 
in Kamala Harris's words, they're coming for you. That's really all I have to say about that. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that uh, preppers, you know, I learn a lot about the things they study, but uh, that's a way I deviate from their philosophy is I feel like the underlying philosophy as a prep of a prepper is the big fault they have with civilization is that there's a weakness in it and they want to survive the weakness and uh, hopefully bring back civilization, it seems like the underlying philosophy is. They're not like anarcho-primitives. They're not trying to move towards something that is better. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my big schism with preppers. And with that said, you know, like there's something to be said to prepare for what's whatever's coming. They're going to definitely have at least somewhat of an advantage. The more I, I learn about prepping, though, the more I'm inclined to, for example, learn how to construct a bow and arrow. Or, like I said, to build a shelter that is semi-permanent, recognizing that I may have to move it because I'm not on my property. And also that if I'm making it out of uh, materials from the land that they're going to, over time, need to be replaced um, as they're weathered on. And that leads me, you know, with preppers, it, it, it's often brought up about the uh, issue of guns. And... I never thought that my, like my family, but in particular my dad, would own a gun, and it has happened. And I jokingly said to my parents when I spoke with them last, I think Gumby and I are the only people that don't have guns. Um, and it's not even necessarily that we don't want a gun, but it's not been something that, I mean, I can't speak for Gumby, but for me, I never really thought I would need one. It hasn't been worth, like now I'm entertaining it more than ever before that it might be a good idea to have a gun, but it's not worth my money at the moment. I heard that it's a really bad time to get into this game because ammo is like super scarce. I asked on all the prepper websites that I could contact a while back, um, basically if I could only get one gun that would overlap the most areas of why you'd need a gun, um, security, um, hunting, um, fighting for what's left of the earth, you know, what would that gun be? By far, the most answers said a shotgun. It's specifically a Mossberg 500. So if you're kind of considering your first gun or like one gun to have, that seems to be the, the overall consensus. Sometimes there was like, you know, an AK or a, a pistol or something like that, or a 22. A 22 is another highly recommended first gun. Um, good for hunting, Anything that shoots is going to be somewhat useful for defense. And no matter what you have, um, if you get outnumbered by other people with guns, well, you got nothing. They're going to outnumber you. So a gun is a very limited weapon. Um, I'm still on the fence about it. I'm not anti-gun. Um, if we could get rid of all the guns in the world where the military and everybody else didn't have guns, I would push that button in a heartbeat. But I am definitely not for the citizenry not having guns and the military and enforcers having them. I don't trust them. Why would I want them to have the sole monopoly on violence? Um, so, yeah, that was just some things that we learned about guns, you know, briefly. And, uh, yeah, the reasons why we don't have one yet. And I still have not bought one. And, of course, a lot of people said, you know, it depends on you. You should go out, find a friend that has guns, shoot them yourself, and see what you like. 
because they have different recoils. They fit different bodies differently. So, you know, keep in mind, you need to practice. You need to learn about guns if you're thinking about getting a gun. And uh, preferably get some experience before you spend the money and only to wind up with a gun that, like, a lot of people, other other people liked. And you're just like, man, this kicks my ass. I don't, I don't, I don't like this gun. Yeah, there's nothing, nothing better than uh, getting something that you're never going to use because you get hurt every time you use it. So yeah. it just kind of sits there unused. And another thing that's been coming up in the news a lot lately that we've been talking about is this trans lobby. Um, J.K. Rowling's, the author of the Harry Potter series in particular, has gotten in quite a bit of uh, trouble with the trans lobby. I am so fucking sick of the trans movement. Let me preface everything I'm going to say by saying I do not support ganging up on somebody, no matter what their beliefs are or whatever, and beating them up. This is not about that. I don't support... Um, getting in the way of someone's employment if they're good at their job just because they have made choices that you don't agree with. This is not about that for me. I do strongly disagree with people, this cancel culture bullshit. People getting fired because they don't agree with your values. I'm going to say some things right now that would like get me fired, but thank God I don't have a job to get fired from. <laughs> and by the way, I've debated with all kinds of people about all kinds of things. I've only had one person contact my employer and try to get me fired for a debate I had with somebody, and it was over this exact thing. Trans stuff. And this person wasn't even a trans themselves. They were one of these white women that thought, I'm going to speak up for the trans movement, and uh, this is the way we fight. We fight dirty. Um, I don't believe people are born in the wrong bodies. There, I said it. I don't. I don't believe that nature or God or whatever, just like, oh, shit, I wasn't looking. Damn, put them in the wrong body. I believe you can feel however you want. You have the right to do with your body whatever you want. I don't believe that you need to have surgical correction. In other words, have your body mutilated to resemble something it's not. And that taxpayers should pay for that. If you believe that that is like something you want to donate to and fund, fine. But people who don't agree with that, that is bullshit. That's tyranny to tell me that this is something I need to believe, I need to support. And this person that just got their junk cut off and got things like refolded and restitched to resemble something it's not is a hero. I don't buy it. I don't agree. And if I live in a culture that I need to be scared to just say I disagree with something, fuck that culture. And are you, just for clarification, are you saying, like, um, people who are petitioning for the taxpayers especially to pay for the surgery? Well, specifically when I was talking about funding that, yes. Yeah. And when I say trans, I'm talking about people that are getting gender reassignment and also this identity thing. I believe if you need to... If you still have a penis, for instance, and you say, I identify as a woman, all right, you know, I mean, if you feel like a woman, you feel feminine, you're tapped into the feminine, I don't really have a big problem with that. But when you demand other people call you a woman, no matter what they think or what they agree with, and it hurts your feelings so drastically that you feel like they have done you violence by not calling you a woman and that you are entitled to go into 
women's places, whether the women want them you there or not, that you are entitled, you have a right to be in there, that you are just every bit just like a person born a woman, I don't agree with that. I just don't. Um, I know there's like a growing feminist movement, um, uh, a group within the feminist movement that is saying, this is insulting to us. There's more to being a woman than just having a vagina and tits. Like, there's something special and unique about being born a woman, and we want to protect that. We fought so hard to get rights for, for women, and now here's another person with a penis saying that they have a right to come into everywhere we go. Anything we have, they have a right. They can even compete in our sports. To me, this is just we crossed into this insanity, and I don't agree with it. When I This is where society, like, I feel like really lost me for good when we started arguing about bathrooms. Um, and jump in here, Teresa. I'm going out on some controversial limbs, so don't leave me hanging. We talk about this stuff all the time. Um, I believe this is a mental illness. You know, I've heard that, like, well, look at the suicide rate right now among people that are trans in the trans community. To me, what that tells me is with all these huge strides that gay marriage was legalized, and I'm talking about I heard the suicide thing before Trump started rolling back shit. That indicates to me an underlying illness that is not just about that trans aren't being treated well. This is a deep identity crisis. I don't feel like we should beat these people up. We should help them. But we shouldn't encourage a mental illness. You are not, in fact, born a woman. What if I, I do identify as a Native American, as a matter of fact. I don't feel like a white person. I feel like my values align with the indigenous people of this country. What if I show up on the Iroquois Reservation and demand entrance into their most sacred ceremonies because I'm born because I identify as an Iroquois. You were born into the wrong body. I was born in the wrong body, the wrong color, and if they don't accept me, they are fascist, Nazi bigots. They're hate mongers. How does that make you feel? I'm outraged when I hear something like that. It's so entitled. To me, this is where colonization leads. This is the extent. We've run out of places, geographical places to colonize, so now we're actually colonizing members of the opposite sex. <laughs> We've got a ground screw here, so we're going to have to talk really loud. But what do you think about that, Teresa? Well, it reminds me of what I mentioned earlier. Yay, noise. Talk loud. Um, that there are more and more issues to fractionate or to splinter us into different groups. And we really need to be careful as a people because Gumby you brought up a question the other day how is it that the transgender movement got so much power so quickly and reading up on it a little bit oh my god so reading up on it a little bit um, it seems as if there was a lobby and a lobby being a group of people that have, uh, most of the time, a lot of financial support to, uh, to get people to listen to them. They were able to uh, just stick the T for transgender onto what the lesbian, gay, and bisexual movement was already doing. And shit, I forgot what I was going to say because it's so loud, uh, it just went into my brain and swirled everything around. Well, I think this is also a way that our culture is exploiting 
people with a mental illness, people with a deep identity crisis, instead of trying to help them, I feel like what we need to tell people, if I had a child, I'd be saying, it's okay for you to feel how you want. And it's okay for you to do what you feel like you need to with your body and express that however you need to. But to get invasive, sometimes dangerous surgery that's expensive, that's, no, we need to learn how to be okay with ourselves. I feel like it's a move into a dark area. And because I'm an anarchist, I'm not holding up cardboard signs and trying to block anybody from this, by the way. This is just me expressing an opinion, and God damn it, I have the right to my opinion. Now, if I sat down right here with a transgender person, this is a human being. We can talk about anything. And if you want to talk about uh, a tra the trans movement, I will disagree with you. But that doesn't mean I disrespect you. It just means I do not agree, and that's okay. I'm not going to yeah. block you from doing this. I'm not going to blow up. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of things in civilization I'd like to blow up, but I don't have a specific hatred for a, a place that does gender reassignment. But I do feel like this is a group of people who is exploiting a problem for financial gain. This shit is not cheap. And something else that was mentioned about the trans movement and how it um, seemingly skyrocketed to like so much support so quickly was that there was already a group of people in our society that were primed to say, yes, you know, yes, we want the same rights we want the same rights for lesbians, yes, for homosexual men, for, um, you know, all of these different people. So, yes, of course we want for the trans as well. It was like everything was a crescendo up until this point. Like, of course we want rights for transgendered people because we're getting rights for everybody else, civil rights. Like, we want rights for everyone. And yet it's not bringing us together because, like Gumby just mentioned, you can disagree. It doesn't mean that you're going to kill the other person. It doesn't mean that you want the other group of people subjugated. It just means I have a right to an opinion. And and I, I don't even know if right is the word, but I have an opinion. And if it differs from your opinion, that should be okay. And people often talk about how indigenous cultures, they were uh, much more gender fluid, um, depending on the culture, of course. And... There is some truth to that. Like, I think of the Sioux, you know, like, specifically. Um, but these people that were born and felt like they, they wanted to dress like women or, you know, have this unique path, this was allowed and considered a sacred and unique thing. This person was a holy person. But that person did not demand entrance into the moon lodge where the women go when they're having their period. This is a different thing that's happening. For it, to, for it to be compared to what indigenous people did is bullshit. People are just picking and choosing what they think are the facts to support their own agenda, like people always do. Um, and yeah, just this, you know, learning the different pronouns and everything. I mean, I feel like what we're, what we're really feeding is self-importance. I don't walk into a place and just say, oh, you need to, like, change your whole language to suit me. No, I humble my fucking self and, like, adapt to wherever I'm at. I just, yeah. I'm not sure there's much more I want to say about this right now, but just to say that I disagree with many aspects of that and that's okay that I disagree with it, but what I really disagree with is how they're shoving it right at everybody. A big part of this Trump phenomenon, as they used to call it, is people reacting 
to liberal bullshit like this that you can't agree and because you disagree you are a hate monger you're a fascist it's the insanity of that that people are reacting to often with a growing or equal amount of insanity it's too much fucking crazy and what this amounts to is people with a deep identity crisis who are more reliant on technology because you damn sure ain't going to get gender reassignment out in the woods it's just a a bad move to my opinion and anybody can can write in and and, uh, debate with me about that oh boy god that's so loud I'm so sorry the uh the next thing that I was just going to kind of briefly mention was the Trump-Biden debate, which was so entertaining. I highly recommend, if you can, like, having a few friends over, of course, if you want to do social distancing, etc. Y'all should watch this if you haven't, around the world. It is so entertaining. And a great drinking game would be every time Trump interrupts. Ooh, man, you would get so drunk. Um, you'd just be drinking the whole time. But yeah, something that uh, Trump mentioned was or I'm not sure if Biden brought it up, but there was uh, something that was brought up about racial sensitivity training for federal employees and how um, these various contractors, these groups were being paid with taxpayers' money to provide racial sensitivity training. Now, I, um, when I was in college, I went to all these Equal Opportunity Institute uh, programs through my university, and I was in human resources who often provide, like, inclusion and diversity trainings. And so I was like all about it. However, I feel like a corner was turned at some point um, within the past couple years because when I was learning about diversity, inclusion, um, and just learning about like how not to be a dick, uh, it did not include... When did you learn that? <laughs> shut up. It did not include uh, bashing of all white people. And... Of course, I've only read a few um, articles and documents about this racial sensitivity training, but it seems like, uh, like I said, a corner has been turned. And what the president was, I think, referring to was in the trainings how all people, as he put in an executive order, of a particular um, ethnicity and of a particular sex, namely white males, were basically being called racists. Um, I don't know where is this at. Oh, I'll again jump to the 1619 Project and how I think her name is Nicole Hannah-Jones, um, a New York Times writer, and she has like degrees in African-American studies and, and history. But she wrote this essay, which she won a Pulitzer Prize for, and she was talking about her family. I haven't read the whole thing. I started reading it and then I got interrupted. But um, she mentions how like her family... Um, migrated out of the south, out of the southern part of the United States to go to the north and and hoping that they would be better off and that her, I think her grandma, took a job that is universal as a black woman's job and that's cleaning white people's houses. Well, I would just like to say that my grandma cleaned white people's houses So I and my grandma was white and uh, my grandma was not rich and my grandma, even though she was a... as they would say, and I'm not letting her off the hook for this, a woman of her time, um, she was not out there talking shit about black people or Hispanic people or anything like that. My grandma was poor, and she did what she could once her husband died, who had been like in the military and basically uh, 
had some experimentation on it, on his, on him. He died, and my grandma had to take care of her family, um, however she could, which was cleaning richer people's houses. So I feel like Nicole and I, Miss Hannah Jones and I, share something in common, and I hope she would not view me as being a racist just because I am a white person. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel like one of the poisons of this time is that people get called fascist and hate mongers for disagreeing. So that's one of the things I'm trying to express here, a strong disagreement. If I saw somebody, anybody, getting just beat up that wasn't committing violence themselves, that wasn't self-defense, or it wasn't somebody that's actually hurting other people that needs to be stopped, I would definitely defend that person. And we can disagree. My, the friends, and like I said, I'm a misanthrope, so maybe uh, disagreement comes a little easy for me, but. Yeah, and, um, you know, again, bringing up the Black Panther Party, we did a, a podcast not too long ago about the Black Panther Party. And I was reading through this document that was issued by the Huey Newton Foundation by, um, I think it was mostly compiled by David Hilliard, who was one of the founding members. And it is like it's decades out of date and it seems a little naive but it is a start as I talked about before like the first step to making an impact in your community so if you are um, if you're wanting to do something and you're not quite sure where to start I'll see if I can post this pamphlet on our Facebook page because uh, it gives so many different programs Um, kind of an outline of like what you can expect to need, how many people you might need to run it, where you might be able to find resources. Um, Of course, like I said, written in like the 1970s, so it's kind of out of date with how much money you would need to fund it. But who knows where you could take this this basic structure and take it to um, or bring it to your community so that instead of, again, being divisive, you can actually fucking do something. And I just want to say too, I was in the grocery store last night and um, I had a grocery store manager as well as a security guard on me, like flies on shit the whole time I was in there. And then when I left, they followed me out to where our van was parked at. Like a fly on pence. And and I'm white. And so I'm just saying uh, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I paid for everything that I brought out of there. It was like because they sniffed out that like I was poor or they made an assumption about me that I was poor. And Gumby said, yeah, it doesn't feel good, does it? Does it, Karen? I did not. No, I know you didn't say that. I said it doesn't feel good because uh, Teresa does come from a more uh, wealthy background than I do. And uh, this is something that my family and I have been familiar with. And again, it's this divisive, like, oh, you don't know how it feels to be a black person walk in a store and have people treat you like you're a thief. The fuck I don't. And if we found, if we worked more on the common ground, we could actually rise up. We have so many of the same problems. But all this divisive bullshit, like names like Black Lives Matter, for instance, instead of All Lives Matter. Like I said, if some people are using that to dismiss the problem of police violence, that's the way they're using it. I'm using it in the literal sense that if we don't all get together and fight for all of our lives, including species that are not just being abused by police, by the way, are going extinct. 
until we get on that broader mindset, what are we going to do at one race at a time? Not even one species at a time. We're just going to handle one race within one species, the importance of their problems at a time? The world ain't going to last that long. Um, and yeah, we're, our, our episode's going long, so I'm cutting off some stuff that I was otherwise going to talk about. Um, but one thing I want to hit on as we're winding this up is... You know, I think about a lot of the leaders of our, our so-called resistance, uh, from Jeff Gibbs, Will Falk, Derek Jensen, Max Wilbert, even Daniel Quinn. And, um, you know, I'm seeing Jeff Gibbs on social media right now telling everybody to go rock the vote. <laughs> um, I'm hearing Will Falk, you know, get up there and he's saying, like, you know, why do we keep talking about politics? Why don't we talk about taking down civilization? And then when I start talking about taking down civilization with him, he's like, oh, Ted Kaczynski was a maniac. I don't support violence. I'm like, so what are you supporting? Like taking down infrastructure? You think you blow up a dam and people with guns aren't going to show up? What, was that just like one dam? It was a symbolic act? I mean, if you're talking about taking down in infrastructure of a culture that infrastructure and property is king, you're talking about violence. I think about Derek Jensen, who's encouraging people to go do something, go fight civilization, go blow up a dam, who has not blown up a single dam himself and is not only not blowing up a dam, but is looking for an electric blanket, you know, instead of finding an alternative that you don't have to plug into a wall. I mean, it just drives me crazy. I think about Max Wilbert, who's like an organizer and, uh, I don't know what he's organizing, but how well organized do we need to be if we're raising the alarm? 200 species today just went extinct. It's urgent. These are your family. These are like, we're all related. But week, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year go by of organizing. Deep Green Resistance, was that the name of the book? I, I think so. Yeah, it was written at least, what, 10 years ago? Over More than that. that. Yeah. Now, if we're talking about 200 species a day, you do the math of how many species have died while everybody's organizing. Hmm. Maybe it's time to consider doing something your fucking self instead of waiting for everybody else. Let me tell you, I had friends that uh, were going to go off and be a hobo with me back when I was talking about that. I waited year after year. Nobody wanted to do it. Finally, I decided if I'm going to do it, I'm going to have to do it. I went and did it. I did my hobo thing. I'm still doing a version of my hobo thing. My friends never did become hobos. That taught me something. I even think about Daniel Quinn who says, you know, it doesn't make sense to fight taker culture. You have to abandon it. And then he says in a few sentences later how he hasn't done much to abandon it. He's not an outdoorsy kind of guy. <laughs> Ooh. So let me say I am so grateful for these people. Their books are fantastic. They have inspired so many of us. Their ideas have spurred us on into places we might not have gotten to by ourselves. They are not people to be put down. They are not people to be dismissed. I have the most gratitude, and I want to express gratitude for all these people, for the podcasts they do, for the books they write. But I also want to say these people are not going to lead us into what comes next. Mm -hmm. They are not our leaders. We need to take whatever these people have given us, have gifted us with their knowledge, their insights, their profound questions. We need to take that, and we need to do something ourselves. We have to be the leaders of what comes next. We have to stand up. If you think you need to organize, you need to ask yourself, 
how many species you're willing to flush down the toilet while you organize. Because if you're just organizing for decades, what the fuck are you organizing? How to cope <laughs> with a support group that grieves for all the species that died while you didn't do shit? It's like when Joe Biden talks about, like, no fossil fuels by 2050. Like, no using of fossil fuel. He's not going to be alive. What the hell does he care? And I tell you what I think a good organization would be is somebody standing up and actually doing something, role modeling what a fight looks like so people can actually join you. That's what I'm not seeing anywhere. And if you want to, you know, talk about history, I'm not going to be on this too long, this subject, but what do we what do we learn history for? Do we just learn it so that we can spout off dates and and you know wars and everything? Or are we le- learning history so that we can actually learn lessons from it, not to repeat the same mistakes? Yeah, and Teresa and I were talking about the nature of history, how it keeps getting like this 1619 was that mm-hmm. it? This project. History is always propaganda to advance an agenda. The existing history is advancing an agenda, propaganda to make America look great and to justify all the atrocities we have done and continue to do. The 1619 Project, likewise, is equally propaganda. It is not a correction in history. It's a different agenda being advanced. Just like For instance, in- just picking an arbitrary year like 1619, well, obviously we're not looking into why the bad guys in this story became the bad guys. What are their roots? There's an agenda being pushed. 1619 might be very significant for, I believe that was the first slave ship. Yeah, into the British colonies. But it so was not the first not... it wasn't the first slaves on this land that we now know as America because they're excluding Spanish history. Why are we not picking a date that is the first Native American being killed. Right. So we are advancing a specific agenda. And I thought about what would history look like without our culture? What if it wasn't this like, why can't we settle on the truth of history? Why does that always elude us? Is it possible to have a complete true history? And I started thinking, I don't think it's actually possible. I think, like, I've heard, why does history get left out of history books before uh, 1492? And I wondered, how would you add that history? Like, Native Americans weren't writing down, well, in 1310 is when we invented the corn shucker. <laughs> you know? They didn't treat history like that. You can't just add that history to our history books because it's a whole different worldview. And I thought about what their history looks like. And it looks something like this. A long time ago, man could speak with all the animals. The animals took pity on man because he didn't have a way to see at night and stay warm in the winter. So crow flew up to the sun and brought him fire. This is what indigenous history looks like. And we're taught from our culture to consider that naive and childish. But I thought, what if that is the truest way to tell history? It's not about a factual representation of what happened, because how will you ever get that? Even in something in your own life that you were there for, if you talk to somebody else who was there... You had two different takes on it, two Mm -hmm. different points of view. How much worse does that get 100 years in the past? So maybe the only real history are stories, are stories that hold a truth, a lesson. That's the only history that matters, not an empirical kind of like, this is the way it actually happened, that always eludes us, always gets changed. So, yeah, that was an... uh, I don't know. An interesting thought about what history might really look like mm-hmm. if humans are going to have a history that actually makes sense. Because this whole idea of empirical facts, 
If there were empirical facts, wouldn't we have uncovered some by now? It seems like we debate about everything. And, uh, yeah, real quick with the, the Daniel Quinn, Derek Jensen, another debate that rages on is you got the Daniel Quinn people who say we need to abandon civilization or form something better within civilization that makes the old model obsolete. And the Jensenists say, no, 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 we can't abandon it. we got to fight it. But you see two groups that neither one are walking their talk. I don't see a mass exodus of people abandoning civilization. I damn sure don't see a mass exodus of people fighting it, really fighting it. And what that tells me is neither one of these philosophies are working. I believe we need both. We need to not need civilization and fight it. So once again, you know, deriving inspiration, ideas from these people, and then we need to move forward with something that they can't give us. We can't look to these people for what needs to happen next. Anything you want to throw in there before I close this up? Close this episode? Um, I'm still enamored by what Fred Hampton was doing before he was assassinated, before he was murdered by our government. And it's not necessarily, I mean, I didn't know Fred Hampton, so I can't really speak to his character or personality or anything, but reaching in with your hand, no matter what color your hand is, no matter what, (laughs) no matter what sex your hand has touched, (laughs) like it doesn't fucking matter. There is a common enemy and we need to focus on our common goals and problems and stop splintering off. That's the only way anything's going to get done. Now, lesson from history real quick. Fred Hampton got assassinated. So what can we learn from that? Maybe we don't need one person to do this. Maybe we all need to reach into that circle and put our hands together. Yeah, and I'd add Tecumseh right up there with Fred Hampton. Same philosophy. Let's unite all the tribes. Not into one tribe, because that just creates confusion. We are not one tribe. Let's unite all the tribes, the different tribes, proud in who they are for a common cause, which is all of our survival. A couple things for the podcast I want to throw out real quick is we're finally doing interviews. So I want to give credit to Soraya Rose in Northwest Territory, Canada, and Brian in Portland, Oregon. Both of you guys kind of put a bug in our ear of like, when are you guys going to do interviews? So we're finally trying it. We finally decided, well, why don't we try to get people to lean into this podcast? And we've already recorded two. One of us, one of them we're going to release next week after this comes out. It's our next episode. And the other one next season, hopefully we'll get more. We're trying to find people that have anything to offer um, who have escaped society, who have skills that would help people escape society, or just really interesting stories. So I'm really excited about that. It's turned out to be both challenging and fun and frustrating. Mm. I knew dealing with people would be frustrating, and I've already had one person flake out on me that, uh, you know, made an appointment. We got everything set up, changed our whole day around, and like, oh, I forgot. Two hours later, are you still there? (laughs) No. No. So we passed (laughs) on that. But anyway, really excited about being able to share that. Um, I want to remind everybody that... uh, Events are happening so fast in our world that sometimes some of our information might get confusing, might even become obsolete by the time you hear it, unfortunately. We record these 10 days in advance. Uh, So even if we do wind up dead or in prison, you still get to hear one more podcast. Hooray! Hooray! And um, listener write-ins, thank you for all the write-ins. Thank you for all the donations. Like um, in our little theme song, you know, making this podcast open for cash. I'd kind of given up on the idea, so I'm so happy we're actually making a little bit of cash. Um, we love all your stories, your comments. The best way to contact us, I say this every episode, and people still, like, contact us every which way, which is, uh, I, I'd rather you do that than non-contact us, but 
the best way to contact us is go to our website. It's super easy to use and find the little compact contact button or whatever. It's right. It's a form right on the homepage, yeah. right on the page. That's the easiest way for us to get your messages. So I'm collecting them from Facebook. I'm collecting them from Messenger. I'm collecting them from all kinds of ways. And it gets kind of confusing. And some of your messages, like I, I find like six months later and I'm like, shit, I didn't even think of looking there. So please contact us through the website. It makes it a lot easier. Um, and by the way, anything you write to us that has to do with a podcast or what we're doing, I take it as implied consent. So if you really don't want something shared, and I haven't had anybody complain uh, yet, but just so you know, <laughs> if you share something sensitive with me that you don't want said on a podcast, let me know. Because people who write to me, um, I assume that you're you're giving consent to that to be shared. And uh, I've had to kind of go out on a limb there because... I don't know if you've ever tried to get anybody to do anything, but it's like herding cats. <laughs> so uh, I've had to kind of like <laughs> scrounge some of the comments together, especially in the beginning. Uh, we're getting some pretty good comments now. Um, but yeah, anything else about the podcast, Teresa, that you want to say? Number 70. Who would have thought? Yeah. We're getting old. <laughs> All right, so for a listener write-in, uh, I've got Jessica from Berkeley, California. <clears throat> and I'm going to try to do a California accent. Oh, boy. Um, the only thing I know about California accents are, like, Valley Girls and... Uh, surfer Lee, Dudes. Surfer Dudes. Awesome. Um, Hollywood. So, let's see. I'm going to try to go light on this, so forgive me, Jessica. <laughs> Hello, my fellow primal anarchist. I would love to talk to you. We share so many insights, and I've so enjoyed your podcast. Junk. It's been a lifeline during COVID, especially. I want to include you in my book, if you might be open to that. Of course, what the hell is the point of a book at this stage in the game, when my land is on fire, my sky is a haze of gray dust and orange fog, and most of the inhabitants are rapidly transitioning into robots? And stuff. I'd love to discuss. <laughs> are you ever on grid enough for a phone call? My book is about the process of gaining wild thought through practicing wild skills as a way to restore our hunter-gatherer birthright. Mm. I've spent time with all sorts of primitive skills practitioners and the gatherings, but I'm not about the purity of the Stone Age approach. I'm interested in how people can think their way out of the civilizational mindset. Re-indigenize. Because the process of surviving after collapse begins with thought, you have to be familiar with how humans survive on the planet in the absence of technology. <laughs> you have the anti-civ mindset, and I would want to hear more about how you acquired it, and if, how, you have been able to transmit it to others. And also, how do we actualize Daniel Quinn's insights? <laughs> well, Jessica, I really respect what you're doing, and, uh, you know, I, I am excited to see that book when it comes out. I did contact Jessica, so we talked more about some of these things, but... I just wanted to share these uh, questions and things with our listeners because I think they're interesting. Um, yeah, I'm really happy that, like, you know, during this, this pandemic and COVID that, like, uh, people are able to listen to us and uh, hopefully we're getting a dialogue going and, uh, and some thinking of uh, some of these things we're talking about. Teresa, you got anything you want to say to anything I read? Um, not, not particularly. Well, I... I like to say the way you say, what the hell is the point of a book at this stage in the game? Mm, I like that. I do like that. Yeah. Sorry, we, I'm eating We wonder persimmons. the same thing about podcasts. Um, I don't know. 
I, sometimes I think it's kind of masturbatory that we're doing it for us just to kind of keep ourselves uh, occupied. So, yeah, it's a really damn good question. I don't know that we're actually reaching anybody who hasn't already been reached and the people that have already been reached. I don't know how any of us are going to get mobilized, um, myself included. Mm-hmm. You know, all these things I talk about, what am I doing? I'm living out of a van. Um, and your question about if I've been able to transmit, like, anti-Civ thoughts to others. Actually, one of my interviews coming up is somebody who was influenced by some of this stuff and uh, is a really good example of how they've taken it in their own direction. So I would say just talking to people, especially teaching kids, having conversations, uh, finding finding ways to reach out, which I guess is the point of your book and the point of our podcast. Maybe that's something like we can help people just not feel alone, help develop their own thoughts because none of us has the whole truth or we'd be acting on it more. Um, but maybe when we put these parts together, we've got something. And as far as actualizing Daniel Quinn's insights, I hope I've addressed that with what I said earlier. Um, I don't think we need to actualize those insights. He didn't actualize those insights. I think we need to take what he gave us, the inspiration, uh, the insights, the thoughts, and, and actualize our own, um, actions, (laughs) our own, God damn it. (laughs) Now you derailed me. Our own, uh, passions, our own, whatever we need to do. So I think that's, uh, not the question we need to ask is how to actualize someone else's insights. We need to find what we're we're doing. Yeah, our genuine, authentic selves are probably the things that are going to inspire people the most, especially if we're so passionate about what we're doing. And you said the process of uh, surviving after collapse begins with thought. I I do agree with that in the one sense, but I don't think any of us are going to be able to really wrap our minds around it until it happens. Um, The pandemic was a good example for me. I thought I'd wrap my mind around what collapse look like and then when we started seeing little windows into it i realized damn none of us are really prepared for it no i think it's just gonna have to happen so uh hopefully that addresses some of those questions and thanks again for that write-in i Mm -hmm. really appreciate it um if you have any questions or comments visit our website www.escapingsociety.weebly b as in beans baxter.com Uh, We have a Facebook page called Escaping Society. We have a YouTube channel. We have a donate button. Uh, We really um, appreciate donations, any financial donations, if you are able. Um, And if you are not, um, please just drop us a line. We love the encouragement. We love a story. We love a good question. Um, And we love an occasional correction. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, just reach out and it's free. Contact us and rate us. There's these little stars on the podcast thing, so please give us a rating. Um, We appreciate those. And anything else, Teresa? Thank you for listening. Yeah. Bye.